yeah, music is something like mirror, mirror the history, mirror the, the narration and story of the people. Music is very honest mirror. Hello and welcome, you're listening to the Town Sounds Oral History Podcast, celebrating the musical heritage of Kirklees. This episode is entitled Living Tradition, Folk Musics in Kirklees. That first quote was from Mohammed Reza Baldi, whose interview is packed with wise and succinct quotes like that. We'll be hearing more from him as the episode unravels. I'm your host, Sam Hodgson, and I'll have to make another confession to you today. I've had a bias towards folk music and the folk music aesthetic since I was a teenager. To start with, I listened to John Martin and Iron and Wine and Nick Drake, and as time has gone on, I've been interested more and more in traditional music from around the world. You could say I'm an aspiring folk musician as well. So, if I'm honest, the making of this episode has been particularly exciting for me. This podcast will introduce you to some of the traditional music and dancing that exists in the local area. You may recall Michael Drapen speaking about traditional Ukrainian folk music in episode 2, so this won't be the only episode talking about folk, but it will be the only one that exclusively discusses it. In this episode, I'll find out just what's been happening in the folky world of Kirklees. We'll hear from Aidan Kilroy discussing the Grove Pub's raucous but respectful Irish sessions, Mohammed Rezabaldi talking about his unique in-depth research and performance on the music of Boucher, John Joseph, aka Rocky, will tell us all about the joyous spontaneity involved in traditional Christmas karaku songs, and Amira Husevic will explain the ins and outs of Balkan folk music. We'll also hear about some special folk dancing in the area from Peter Philpot and Alex Bywaters. We'll start off with some local folk music to get us in the mood for this episode. This is The Dalesman's Litany, performed by Kirklees-based Johnny Campbell. The poem was written in Leeds in 1900, and the tune was written in Bradford 60 years later. It's hard when folks can't get their work where they've been bred and born. When I was young I used to think I'd bide by the root and corn For I've been forced to flee this town so here's my litany From Hull and Halifax and hell good lord deliver me When I was courting Mary Trying to locate a single genre of a piece of music can be a strange and winding road which takes us in all directions and leaving us knowing less than when we began. Defining genre is a bit like keeping water in a wicker basket. The container might seem up for the task at first glance, but as theory turns to practice and mess is made of everything, genres and musical styles spilt in a puddle on the floor, nobody knowing what came from where... And as I approached this topic, I needed to somehow define exactly what folk music was. As I considered the features of folk music more and listened to the interviews with my guests, I began to outline a list of things that might be involved in defining music as traditional or folk. One part of the puzzle was textural. It was about sound worlds and aesthetics. This is perhaps how most of us think about folk music in its instrumentation. Whilst distorted electric guitars are rock and oboes are classical, saxophones might be jazz and harmonicas are blues, well, we know folk music as well, I think. Mandolins and accordions, bagpipes and spoons. 
So here is where we shall start. Each of our guests for this episode plays an instrument. Unfortunately, for those wanting to learn more about the world, some of them are rather unusual. If you have anything like the knowledge that I had before I started researching, writing and recording this podcast, you won't know what at least some of these instruments are. We'll begin closest to home with the Irish Bowron, spelt B-O-D-H-R-A-N. Explaining it is Aidan Kilroy, one of the founders of the Grove Irish Folk Session and a well-respected local singer, whistle player and Bowron beater. So a bowron is a frame drum. It's a circular frame with a skin across it, and traditionally it's a goat skin that they use in Ireland. Different parts of the world, it, the, there's a frame drum in India, uh, which is played slightly differently without the stick that we use. Um, they play it with the hands, and that's a frame drum as well. And I think there's in other Eastern European countries that have similar kind of things played differently. So they're really all going back a long, long time. So I don't know where this thing, where the drum actually originated from in Ireland, it's, uh, but it has certainly developed over the years. Uh, greatly. Many years ago, there'd be big, thick goat skins, and it'd take years to develop them and break them in. And uh, but then they weren't tonally they weren't the best, you know. But the newer skins are lighter, thinner, and uh, well, the thin and the drums are a bit. The frames are a bit wider as well, so you, you retain in that bass. So your other hand is it, it's controlling the tone of the drum. So if you play drum uh, without your your other hand inside the drum you get a, a big bass sound all the time so if you put your other hand in it controls it and you can reduce the diameter of the drum and it, it, it can raise the tone or lower the tone so that's what you do and so you're always like following the flow of the music by altering the pitch of the drum tone with your other hand the non-dominant hand inside and that takes a little bit of exercise as well to develop that and then it just becomes the norm you know The next instrument up is the lagerphone, played by Peter Philpot. And he had this stick covered in bottle tops and bells and stuff. And I thought, I could make one of <laughs> So I did. And I've been playing it for 52 years. And you can play anything on it if you get good enough. So I made another stick about that long. It's got serrated edge when you rasp it against it, all the bottle tops rattle. So it's like a... If you can imagine a tambourine, but elongated on a big long pole. It's like that. But it's got bits in between where you can hold it and where you can think. As far as I know, it originated in Australia as a sheep tally. So when you when they sheared so many sheep, they they have a, a bottle of lager or something to every every other sheep or every five sheep or something like that, and they take the top off and nail it to a piece of wood. That's where a lager phone is, yeah. Next up, Mohammed Reza and his Southern Iranian Nayamban, spelt. N-E-Y-A-N-B-A-N with a hat over the second day. The Nayanban is a kind of Iranian bagpipe. The Nayanban, Nay means the pipe or reed, and Amban 
it means the bag. In the past, uh, the people used this kind of bag or ambon for saving the water or milk. This kind of instrument came from the people that work with the with the animal, so can be kind of shepherd, the ordinary people of the society. The player blow in the bag that is the goat skin with with the elbow you can manage the the pressure of the air on the bag so for a moment the instrument playing without your blowing and then when you feel that the bag is going to be empty you start to blow the the, the bag again So these are traditional instruments, not only because they've been performed within those specific musical styles for many years, but also because they were developed and built by musicians in a traditional way. The instruments are folk instruments because they were created by folk in everyday settings. The lagophone was a stick with bottle tops on which shepherds would use to tally up sheep in order to work out pay. The bowron is an ancient Celtic instrument which could have been originally used in the wool dyeing process or maybe for sieving soil. And as Mohammed Reza just pointed out, the neon barn was originally used to carry liquid. This is the cultural spirit of folk music. It wasn't invented or composed or deliberately created. Rather, it sort of emerged from everyday life. Folk music, the music of the people. This same cultural spirit carries through in the way folk musicians can learn their instruments. Unlike today's formal tradition that comes from Western classical music, folk musicians often learn by ear, in casual and non-professional settings with an emphasis somewhat removed from performance. The music has been passed on orally through generations, as John Joseph, also known locally as Rocky, explains here. John Joseph is a Parang musician who plays in a local band called the Mash It Up Band, and that's who we can hear in the background. The Parang music is something that um, been going on from see my dad and them, they did the same thing. He tell you the same, you know, his dad, you know what I mean? That's a Kiriku is a small island, but the Kiriku, although small, a lot of musicians for some reason, you know what I mean? Most, most of the young men, women, you know, play something, you know what I mean? So it's always, so music has always been there. Parang is a style of folk music which I think is mostly played in the countries which have coastlines on the Caribbean Sea. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. It's performed around Christmas time, by and large, and bands of musicians travel between people's houses and play for other people. Anyway, we'll hear more about it later. But first, we must go back to the subject of defining folk music. One of the other characteristics is with the composition of the songs and tunes. More often than not, a tune or a song won't have a composer associated with it at all. 
Instead, songs are regularly an amalgamation of different versions of tunes and lyrics that have many variations and no clear origin. As John just hinted, music was passed down through his family, from grandfather to father to him, etc. In Karaku, the Parang bands practice their traditional music in the lead-up to Christmas. It's, it's pretty casual, I think, and the, the instrumentation varies quite a lot. Each folk music tradition has a slightly different way of new generations learning the songs and becoming a continuation of the musical customs that have changed and developed and continue to do so into the future. In the Irish tradition, sessions are a common way of passing on tunes from parent to child or from master to novice. A session is a casual setting where a collective of musicians play folk music together, usually in a pub. These are mostly diplomatic circles without a prominent or consistent lead. Different people might turn up every week, and everyone can have a go. There's space for anyone who wants to dive in, from experts to complete beginners. And even though sessions take place in a public space, they aren't performances as such. They're as much about the players as they are about the listeners. It's music for music's sake. Kirklees has a good number of quality sessions. Two of my interviews spoke of a folk session that's been running for about 15 years or so. These days it happens in the Grove Pub in Springwood. The music you'll hear in the background is from that session. It includes Aidan Kilroy on the Bowron and Peter Philpot on the Lagerphone. Here's Peter Philpot to explain. I just I just go along to the Grove and join in with with, uh, with all them up there. And seem to have taken to me anyway. They didn't say no, bugger off. I just turned up and play and, and they, they sort of just sit there and me and the me and the Baron player are like that. We just sort of like don't say a lot to each other, but we communicate all the time when we're playing. It's brilliant, it's uh, Aidan. Yeah, he is. It's really good. He's world class. So here he is, the world class Aidan Kilroy. Whereas everybody sits around the table and they kind of get on, they, un- they understand the tunes that they're playing or they discuss the tunes or play a few bars of this tune into this tune. But you have to be aware. You have to be aware of your instrument. If you come in to learn something, be it any any instrument, whatever it is, flute, fiddle, guitar, whatever, and you're unsure where, you're f- where what to do, then you just tone it down and you listen to see what everyone else is doing and then you just kind of blend in and see if, it, if you can add something to that. And you just have to be aware of your surroundings and aware of yourself and what your capabilities are when you come in, be it a learner or an experienced player, you know. Yeah, and, there's, and what somebody should do then is, is to, to pick up the experienced player and talk to them and, and learn from there. And they'll happily give them tunes and ideas and go off and practice and stuff, you know. that's uh, Some sessions are quite closed and they're very difficult to get into um, and that's why I wanted to create an open session. For different types of music, it's open to that as well. Uh, I'm very much into opening to all sorts of different cultural stuff so anybody can come in whatever culture they come from, and play. Uh, and and I, I love all that kind of stuff. And if you can't play an instrument, but you've got a few songs lingering in the pit of your being, you're still most welcome to come and join the session empty-handed. In fact, the first time I sang at the Grove, I was standing at the bar. Aidan turned the rowdy, beer-drinking crowd dead silent, whilst I stumbled my way through Sandy Denny's version of A Sailor's Life, I'd seen him do this before. 
he quietens the whole room down until even the pouring of whiskey seems intrusively loud. Here he is explaining it. Yeah, so that's trying to show a bit of respect to the person that's singing and to allow them to have that space to utilise their voice correctly rather than straining themselves, you know. Um, it's, 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 again, it's, it comes from Ireland as well. And it's, it's difficult because you can't expect... If you stand up in a pub in Ireland, predominantly everyone will just shut up and listen to you, you know. And that's, that's just a given. Uh, whereas over here, it's not so much a given because it's not part of the culture. The songs people sing in these settings explore a whole world of topics, from fantastical and magical things seen out at sea to the absolute commonplace stuff of life that happens all the time to everyone. The very best folk songs get played the most often, of course, and therefore get passed around quickly. And before you know it, every country and every county is claiming that that song is theirs. And in an attempt to prove it, singers embed place names and local landmarks in the lyrics. In fact, folk lyrics often include real people's names, place names, local landscapes, dates, years, historical events, local legends, etc. And no music encapsulates this spirit better than Parang music. Whatever is going on, whether it's topical, social commentary, scandal, whatever. To an outsider, sometimes you might hear the lyrics and you won't know what it's about. But if you live locally and you have any clue of what's going on in the island, you'll know exactly who and what they're singing about. It's storytelling. It's storytelling through song. That's basically what it is. Song and rhythm, you know? And the lyrics, I think, I say sometimes they're funny. You know, parent could be, it could be, it could be a hoot, it could be a laugh. You know, some of them are really funny. Sometimes people will just take a topic and put some lyrics together and sing on someone, somebody. <laughs> in fact, it's not just the lyrics that take root in place. Melodic phrases often seem to be rooted in specific places too. Across different songs of the same area, a lyrical, rhythmic or melodic motif might reoccur over and over again. All this together, along with localised instrumentation, local techniques of playing and singing, creates a pretty local sound. But this doesn't clear anything up, really, because what do we mean by local? And in folk music, it can mean anything from a tiny village to a huge collection of countries. Next up, we're going to be hearing about the world of Balkan folk music. Amira Husevic is a local accordion player, a teacher of Bosnian language and culture, and a painter of landscape and nature. And here she is, talking about the music of her origin. Singing when they're doing on a, vo- on a field work. Years, years ago, I remember my mother, as, as I was a child, I listening with my mom singing. But these songs was like a very, uh, they make the rhyme. And they will sing like, my darling, he's cutting the grass and I, I am behind him watching him like, like this, something, you know. It's, it's about love, but it's all involved like on the work, what they're doing and, you know. You know, when they collect the corn from the field, they will sit all together at night and they will sing these songs. And they know hundreds of different ones, you know, but they're all saying about things that are happening, like about love, about work. Dragi kosi, dragi kosi, aja kupim sieno. 
So part of folk music is in its functionality. People use the music at weddings or to get babies to sleep or to keep an atmosphere in a pub or socialise in a home or maintain rhythm and morale at work. These are functional, non-performative musical traditions. This isn't about being on stage playing to people you don't know necessarily. It's about playing to and with your community during everyday life. It's only later that the songs get taken to the stage. For example, they have a music for wedding. They have music for work. They have music for lullaby. They have music for religious ceremony. So I perform. I use all of this music for my performance. Some part of that is ritual music. Is not necessary religious music. The spiritual music. For example, we have a ceremony in south of Iran in the country around the Persian Gulf. We call this Zar. This ceremony performed when uh, a person has a, a bad feeling. They believe that this person is ill, so they need to perform music to cure this. They perform a different kind of music and uh, this person with the music, a kind of trance. And after this trance, he or she feel that is good. But every time that he feel again, he need to be cured, he need to be in the ceremony. You know, the music is a box full of spiritual mysteries, memories, and smell your background, your history, your memories, all of them is in this box. And when you play, and when you hear, and when you experience performing the music, is the way that help you to connect with your past and connect with the other people with a very flu language, universal language, maybe with different accent, but everyone can understand it. The music we can hear is Mohammed Reza's band, Lema. Mohammed Reza is one of the only academic researchers of the music of Boucher in the world. He takes everything he knows about the traditional music and creates new arrangements and new songs. Then, with his band, he takes it to the stage. This all sounds very serious and important, but of course music, as we've heard in our previous episodes, is connected to joy and beauty and love and wonder and magic and fun. So, so some part of that music uh, is, is joyful music, so need dance. Imagine with me, the dusk falls upon the fields. It becomes too dark to work, perhaps too cold to be outside. So the ploughs are put away, the hats are hung and candles are lit. Well-deserved, the labourers of the hard day need something to relax their muscles, stretch their limbs and wet their lips. It's time to let go, to breathe a sigh of relief 
and to relieve the soul of its hardships. It's party time. It's dancing time. You're going into people's homes, you just move from house to house, you know? I mean, the people of that, you know, people who know it expect it, so they, you know, they're okay with it, you know what I mean? Well, from 1974, when we initially started, but, I mean, there were people doing it before us, you know? People like my dad and them, and the generation did that, you know? As the years went on every year, more and more guys joined it, so it got bigger. It's getting bigger all the time, you know? Yeah, the traditional... um, Song like um, when I go out tell me mo- me mother, it's yeah. like Keroku folk song, right? And that's been there. I've just known it from time, you know. Then we have another traditional Parang song, which is when you live in the house, and it's called Home We Go In So, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. That was Sly Mongoose and the grooviest version of Silent Night I've ever heard being performed by the Mash It Up Parang Band. They were recorded on Christmas Day of 2022 by Mandeep Samra, not in Karaku, but in Kirklees. And when the Parang Band turn up, you can guarantee people will be dancing. And in fact, many folk musics are really connected to dance. There are a number of folk musics around the world which don't even have a separate word for the music and the dance. Take the word jig, for example, from the Irish tradition. It means both the music and the dance. For what is one without the other? Mohammed Reza told me about several words that are used in the music of Busha, which mean both the music and the form of dance. The name of these forms uh, is the same name for the dance. For example, Chardasmal. Chardasmal is a, a part of the music of this instrument and the name of a dance as well. Bazi, it means play. But in our old language, we use this word Bazi for the dance as well. Next up, we're going to go back to Amira, who here is talking about kolo dancing. The word kolo comes from the Slavic meaning wheel, and it's a type of circle dancing, like a wheel. And not really officially, but some people use the word kolo as shorthand for the music played during these dances too. When they celebrate weddings and things like that, they have accordion and two, three accordion playing together and they enjoy that. This is like for dancing. When I play this, people dance with, with this kind of music. It's called kolo. England has a collection of very unique folk dances as well. Popular around the country and very well known indeed is Morris dancing. So here's Alex Bywaters from Home for a Festival of Folk and several Morris troops to tell us more. So a dance with two sides. One is a mixed side from the home and Cone Valley who were slobbing Billies. They've been going 35 years. I've been with them just under 20. With Slobbing Billies, it's their set dances. There's about 12, 15 dancers. With most of them, we've got alternative tunes because there's the one that we'll do, even a bit of 
investigation, there's always a better, more bouncy, more dancey tune that will help invigorate the dancers. Uh, so it, it's it's got that rhythm, whether it's a, a jig or a reel or whatever, that we're stepping stepping dance or ranting dance effectively. But then it's trying to enhance that dancing by the music that, that fits with it. Especially as we're all getting older, it's a bit harder to jump up and down when you're, you know, 60 and 70 than it was when you were a slip of a lad like you. And getting even closer to home, Yorkshire has a very specifically localised dance indeed. Yorkshire long sword dancing, it's called. Unlike other sword dancing around the UK, Yorkshire long sword features proper blades of steel and thus was almost accidentally outlawed by a recent amendment to the countrywide piece of dangerous weapons legislation. <laughs> Luckily, that never happened, and Yorkshire still has a number of successful longsword sides. From 1975 until recently, Kirklees had their own group, the Kirkburton Rapier Dancers. This is Peter to tell us more about this ancient traditional folk dance. It's a male form dance. You've got a, a blade of steel with a, with a handle on the end. It's about three foot long, and they're all interlock. And to get the lock, you have to dance in a circle. But once the circle's formed, it can't be broken. So you have to twist round and you dance to a tune. And you go around in a circle, but holding these swords. But each person is doing, ending up in a different place until the end, where you all come together and you go through a lock and then you come out the other end and form a circle. And you, you come back to your circle again, facing inward, and you form a, you form a star. That's the only time you let go. You're supposed to let go of the you know, the sword. And it's all mathematical wrote out, you know. And somehow it works, you know. It were like telling 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 the farmers that the seasons were changing and it was the right time to plant this and that and all oh, have to get plows tucked up to dance over the field. We, we just did uh, four festivals, you know, went all over the country. Because other teams, you know, other teams invite invite you. Anything that had to do with folk culture. So there we are, folk music in Kirklees in a nutshell. Right, now, I couldn't resist playing this from Aidan Kilroy and the Smith Sisters. A perfect way to end this episode, The Parting Glass probably a Scottish song with its lyrical origins traced back to at least the 17th century. They might be older. The melody a little bit younger, probably 18th century. Still pretty old. This is The Parting Glass. Of all the comrades that e'er I had sorry And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. Well, thank you for listening to another podcast in our 12-part series exploring a wide range of Kirklees music scenes. I hope that you've enjoyed it. In the next episode, we'll be exploring community music in Kirklees. In doing so, we'll find out about Musica Kirklees, Who Creative Arts, Beaumont Street Studios and the Huddersfield Women's Centre's Music Therapy Programme. Also, the Yorkshire Sound Women Network. Yeah, we're going to 
do this together. And uh, we all had different ideas about what we wanted to do. And there was a sort of exponential curve on the on my understanding of feminism that I had to do a little bit of work on understanding diverse opinions on that. Because that's that's what we were doing, we were doing feminism, we, we, we were going to do it different ways and had different priorities and different personal interests. And so I think the first year was a lot to try to work through all of that. That was Eddie Dobson, who will feature in the next episode. Don't miss out on some really fascinating topics of discussion. And remember to follow Let's Go Yorkshire, Kirkley's 2023 and Sam Shot Song on Facebook and Instagram to keep completely up to date. If you missed anything in this podcast and you'd like to know more, with the description of this episode, you should be able to find people's names, the spelling of unusual instruments, and any links mentioned, and the full script. Full recordings of most of the conversations heard in this episode are available at the West Yorkshire Archive Service. The oral histories haven't been digitised yet, so pop in to have a listen. The conversations recorded for the Oral History Project include those with people from a wide range of musical disciplines, including punk, experimental, sound system, festival organisation, steel pan, brass band and folk music like you've heard in this episode. Thanks again. See you next time. This was a Let's Go Yorkshire and Sam H. Song production. The host and producer was Sam Hudson. The podcast has been supported by Kirklees Council, Kirklees Year of Music 2023 and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Town Sounds explores the musical histories of Kirklees to uncover untold stories through the voices of local people living musical lives. For more information on this podcast, please visit musicinkirklees.co.uk.